More than a pleasure to have back Julian Zelizer, a political historian at Princeton University and a New American Foundation fellow. He's published over 500 op-eds, including his weekly column on CNN.com. He's received fellowships from the Brookings Institution, the Guggenheim Foundation, and the Russell Sage Foundation. His recent book, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society, is found everywhere to find books these days. It's uh, one of many books he's written. More than a pleasure to have back with us, Julian Zelizer. Julian, good afternoon. Happy New Year. How you doing, buddy? Hi there. Happy New Year. I see you uh, rubbing el- elbows with Michael Keaton and all these uh, Hollywood types on Facebook. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm fortunate to meet some of these people uh, at good events. I was going to say, what's happening, Julian? You're not going to leave the uh, edu- educational, academic, intellectual crowd for uh, Hollywood and La La Land folks, are you? No, I was at a, a talk about Spotlight with the cast and the director, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I heard that's phenomenal, by the way. Phenomenal film about journalism. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, I definitely want to see it, also because it takes place out of Boston, my home city. Um, I, I want to talk about, uh, speaking of one of the many uh, of the 500, over 500 op-eds you've written, um, are the early primary states overhyped? And I'm, I'm glad you wrote this, because there's... There's so much fluff out there and so much lack of substance, so many polls that change very quickly uh, regarding issues and certainly regarding candidates, their popularity, uh, their approval. When, when we look at different states, Iowa, for example, people get very excited. Right now, Ted Cruz is leading Donald Trump in Iowa. But the reality is, if you just look at the Republican side, Rick Santorum is one of uh, the Iowa caucus. Uh, Mike Huckabee is one of the Iowa caucus. So um, let's talk about these early primary states, uh, such as in Iowa, and how much they really matter at the end of the day. Because when we look back, sometimes people who are at you know, the top, like a Donald Trump now, were, weren't even a memory by the time the election came around. It's true. You can look at certainly Iowa and New Hampshire, and in both cases there's a – a uh, pretty extensive history since the 1980s. In one of them, uh, the person who ends up getting the nomination doesn't do very well. And you have all kinds of characters who succeed, who get all this buzz early on about being the new front runner, who will fizzle soon after. So, you know, Rick Santorum is one example. Mike Huckabee did very well in 2008, but didn't do very well uh, in the rest of the campaign. Um, and there's several examples like that. So you have to be careful. Um, winning one of the two has been important, uh, although I'm not sure it's as important anymore. But certainly you can lose one and go on to be the nominee. Uh, no question about that. Um, looking at the landscape right now, New Hampshire, for example, we've seen Bernie, you know, double-digit lead with Hillary, you know, now uh, they're neck and neck. Uh, are, for for Hillary, let's look at the left and let's look at the right. Is there any state that you would say is more in, important? Uh, because, you know, you've written about this and I agree that they're overhyped. Is there one state that might be the closest to deserving that hype? Not in the first uh, couple of, of, uh, of rounds. I mean, I think, you know, Hillary Clinton could actually stand to lose both of them, and I still think she would be in very good shape when you get to all the big states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, southern states um, where Bernie Sanders is not going to have a very good run of it, my prediction would be, um, you know, given the more conservative <laughs> electorate there. So it's really the big states uh, of Pennsylvania that she cares about much more than Iowa. Look, if she loses in Iowa and New Hampshire, there'll be plenty of news stories. Is she in trouble? Does Bernie Sanders have a lot more 
staying power than we thought. Um, but right now it's not clear he has the organization um, or the electoral support outside the left to really survive long into these primaries. You wrote a book entitled Jimmy Carter. You know a lot about the former president. Yep. In 1976, um, he had a victory in the Iowa caucuses. He used that, as you wrote about in your piece, to catapult himself to be the front runner in the Democratic primaries. You know, certainly he became the nominee and then president. Do you think that people look back to this uh, time in 76 or hopeful 2016 will be the same? And do you think it's it's perhaps, um, you know, misguided, quite frankly, left to right for somebody to look because it was such a different time in 76 versus now politically? It was. So, you know, Jimmy Carter is the model of how you can use something like Iowa to move from one of many or an unknown candidate into a front runner. And he took on all these big establishment Democrats in 1976, like Henry Scoop Jackson. Uh, and he's the only one who campaigned in Iowa. He made it a big thing. And when he won, it looked like he was a front runner. But, but that was 1976. We're now uh, in 2016. I think a lot of the dynamics of politics have changed with the new social media, uh, with the role of these uh, independent PACs who could play a big role after these first primaries in fueling, you know, this momentum, quote-unquote, that candidates used to get from winning uh, early on. And also with Carter, you know, Carter didn't just win because he won in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, You know, part of what happened was he did extremely well in some of the uh, bigger states where he was able to build a coalition. So um, I think sometimes we, we miss the lesson of that 1976 uh, primary and think, or caucus and think that it applies today equally. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. Julian Zelizer is our guest. Pick up the phone and join us if you have a question or comment. He's with us one more segment this afternoon on this Tuesday in the new year. Happy New Year 2016. 8886-LESLIE is the number. 888-653-7543. You can comment on Twitter. Follow me there, at Leslie Marshall. When we come back, we'll talk more with Julian, and I'll tell you how you can follow him as well. Don't go away. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. America Foundation fellow, writer with a weekly column on CNN.com, and author of The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. Julian, thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. I know that Jeb Bush's campaign changed its strategy, uh, taking its campaign workers for them head- from their headquarters in Florida in Miami, uh, sending folks and money, uh, to, and ads, obviously, and using that money with ads, to Iowa, New Hampshire, and uh, two of the other early states. If you were to advise them, is this a good idea, or do you say, what the heck, you know, for somebody like him or Ben Carson that seems to be going in the wrong direction, uh, polling-wise, uh, you know, throw everything you got at the wall? Well, it depends what those workers were doing. Uh, you know, if they were deployed before to some of these bigger states that will come after the initial two campaigns, it might be a mistake, and he might be putting his eggs into a broken basket, uh, and it won't do him much good. It might be better for him to survive a loss 
uh, to keep the money he has and to deploy it in the next series of primaries where he could show that he's revived himself. That said, I mean, the one way in which I think these two contests, Iowa and New Hampshire, will have an effect this time is in winnowing down uh, who the establishment Republicans who are competitive are going to be. So it might be more relevant, not necessarily who wins, but who does very poorly. And my guess is that's why Bush made the bet. But, but I would be concerned that he's putting too much in something where he won't win uh, and where he might actually be able to survive it. Uh, even if he loses. You wrote in your piece that Iowa enthusiasm, as we know, can fade. Why Do you think it fades quicker now in, in this day and age, and why? Well, some of it fades because the state uh, and New Hampshire, too, are not natural indicators of the general electorate. Uh, so in Iowa, for example, evangelical voters will come out in much higher numbers than they will in other places. So that momentum, everyone might be excited. Uh, but someone like Rick Santorum, to use a historical example, could do well, but then he just won't play well in other states without that same kind of a presence. And then you have kind of current aspects of politics. Now super PACs provide a lot of money to candidates who could flood a state with advertising, and even if they do poorly in Iowa or New Hampshire, uh, they can still build that sense of momentum with a really smart and aggressive advertising buy. So, uh, Ted, so, so, so if Ted Cruz wins Iowa, it doesn't mean Donald Trump's out of the game or any less popular or won't be the nominee? Not at all. Uh, I, I mean, I think it would be a big mistake to, to reach that conclusion. And I think, you know, uh, Trump is many things, uh, but one thing is he's pretty shrewd. I think he's proved that, and I think he understands that Iowa might not be a victory for him. And he, for example, is more interested in New Hampshire where independence will play a bigger role. You talk about New Hampshire, you talk about the demographic of voter not represented in New Hampshire, uh, you know, on a national level or in Iowa, for that matter. Um, you also write in your piece, and this was interesting to me because I love history, about the erratic results that we have seen uh, historically in New Hampshire. Uh, tell folks about some of them. Obviously not all. I want them to read your piece. <laughs> sure. You know, uh, in, in 1972, Edmund Muskie. Uh, won both in Iowa and New Hampshire, but eventually he had to drop out as a result of dirty tricks by Nixon and other factors, and George McGovern takes over. Gary Hart won New Hampshire in 1984. This is before his famous scandal. Um, But he wouldn't win the nomination. It would be uh, Walter Mondale. And one other famous one uh, is Paul Sangas in 1992, who, uh, who was the new Democrat at the time, who kind of wins and has a big buzz, but obviously... It would be Bill Clinton who took the nomination. So, you know, there's a history of these people doing well. They look like the new frontrunner, but then it stays pretty quickly in New Hampshire, too. Let's talk about money. Yeah, you write about money. You write about momentum in your piece. Would you say that the amount of money that's being poured into ads and to these campaigns makes a difference? And, and the reason I say that is up until this week, Donald Trump had not spent a penny, and he just put out his first ad and you know, spent some money. And in and, and, and tying with that, a, a double question, I guess, how, how much that, that name recognition? I mean, Donald Trump is a celebrity. Arnold Schwarzenegger was a celebrity. If you have the bigger name recognition, do you not need to write checks as large? or you know, Because it isn't always those with the most cash wins, but it seems to be coming that way. Well, it is important. Look, uh, when Jimmy Carter did it back in 1976, 
money was limited, and there were literally restrictions on what a candidate could spend. So part of what he tried to do is by winning Iowa just to get the media to pay attention, to get space in the newspapers and on television uh, where they would be talking about him. But you don't need to do that anymore. Uh, I think now there is enough room with social media and uh, larger amounts of money to buy that attention. Um, and that, combined with the name recognition that a Donald Trump brings, he's barely spent a dime so far. Uh, and, and he's had more attention than I think anyone, you know, for a long time in presidential campaigns. So both of those are factors that I think overcome some of what Jimmy Carter needed back in 1976 with those victories. Jeb Bush just announced that his brother George is going to be hitting the campaign trail. I guess he saw Bill Clinton and thought, I've got a former president in my arsenal. Um, does that change anything for him or help? I think you and I have talked about big names regarding campaigning, or does it help right now when we're in the party nomination process as opposed to a general election? Well, with George W. Bush, it might help, but not help Jeb Bush. It might help the other candidates. I mean, <laughs> even though Bush, former President Bush, is more popular than he was when he left office. He's still highly controversial. He quickly brings back uh, memories of many policies that were not favored by the Republicans, not simply the country at large. Uh, and I'm not sure kind of having that association front and center right now is the best thing for Jeb Bush. It's far uh, different with Bill Clinton, who remains very popular, who's also a very sophisticated and aggressive partisan uh, fighter who will probably bring more, even with the attacks on him, uh, than I think George W. Bush can bring his brother right now. One thing that you talked about that I hadn't thought about, um, uh, Julian, is what to watch, which is, and, and you say, if Ted Cruz wins the Iowa caucus and Donald Trump wins New Hampshire, you talk about what might be more relevant is whether Jeb, Marco Rubio, John Kasich, Chris Christie, uh, the others, whether they do poorly in the state. Tell folks why. Yeah, I think right now, you know, the, the, the big donors of the Republican Party, the, the party leaders themselves who ultimately provide endorsements, haven't settled on one of the non-Trump candidates. And so I think part of what Trump's exploited is that you have this split of support between the Rubios and the Bushes and the Kasichs. And I think, you know, one of the things a lot of the party is waiting for right now is who to focus in on. Um, so the first-place winner might not be as important as who comes in second or even third, and who really falls. I think we're looking for who the quote-unquote establishment candidate is going to be who tries to take Trump on and Cruz on uh, in the coming months. And let's talk about, um, I because, you know, I, I have so much with your piece, but I don't want to give away everything in it. I want people to read it. Go to CNN.com, and we'll provide all the links on our site. If it's okay, and I know you know your stuff, so I want to branch out just a tad. Um Donald Trump, a lot of people just can't wrap, you know, their head around his numbers and how he continues uh, to rise. And there are different schools of thought, one of which is that, you know, these are people that support him but won't necessarily turn out uh, to vote. Um, and even if he were to get the nomination, wouldn't do well on a national level. Just wanted your two cents on uh, the Trump phenomenon. Yeah, look, uh, you know, the, the question is, A, will they turn out to vote, and B, when they go to vote, in the end, will they vote for him, or will at the very end they think, I need to vote for someone who could do better in the general election? But, uh, you know, right now, given the numbers he's pulling in polls, given the crowds he's drawing, I think it's, you know, not the correct 
prognosis to say this isn't a very real political phenomenon right now. Uh, and I think he's feeling pretty confident that he will do well uh, in a number of these primary states. And I'm not convinced anymore that these voters are not going to, you know, pull the ballot or push the button for Trump uh, when they go to make that decision anymore. I think he is tapped into something uh, very powerful in parts of the Republican electorate, and he's also played the media game perfectly um, that I think his support is stronger than most people think. I was just interviewing Hal Sparks. A lot of people I've talked to, especially on the left, feel Donald Trump doesn't want to be president, that this is a game that's got out of control in a sense. What do you think? Well, that could be, uh, but he's also someone who loves power and he loves success. And even if he didn't want to do it originally, even if it was you know, a quirky thing uh, on, his, uh, on his part, I think right now he is intoxicated. Uh, with who he has become, and it can have uh, its own momentum, uh, so to speak, uh, where I can't imagine now he, he doesn't want it anymore. What do you have coming up, Julian, before we go? And I'll tell everybody about your website and Twitter and where they can find your great writings weekly uh, for CNN.com. Uh, what do you have uh, coming up you want to share with folks? My Lyndon Johnson book is coming out in paperback, The Fierce Urgency of Now. It's coming out in paperback this month. So, awesome. Uh, that's my big thing. Well, that's awesome. Okay, that's the fierce urgency of now. Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. That's his latest book. Julian, congrats. We are, I'm always so proud of you. It's uh, good to see uh, friends of our family here do well, and you have and continue to do, and we're proud of you for that. Thanks, Julian. Uh, Follow Julian on Twitter at Julian Zelizer, J-U-L-I-A-N-Z-E-L-I-Z-E-R. The website is JulianZelizer.com, J-U-L-I-A-N-Z-E-L-I-Z-E-R. On CNN, go to CNN.com. You can find his great writings there. Once again, that book, hardcover or coming out in paperback, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society.